Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. to remember the Moody Blues, and uh, I always loved the Moody Blues music, thank you, Moody Blues music, because I call it big music. You had all kinds of orchestration in the background, and you know, nights in white satin, and yeah, all that kind of stuff, it's good music, it's good music. If you do not know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube and look up nights in white satin, and if you want me to do the poetry for you at the end, I've got it all memorized, it's good stuff. But the point of this little story is, is whenever they would do their thing, and I'm listening to it, I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to sing with all of that music going on, man, and you're, you know, yeah, we get to do that every Sunday. We do that every Sunday. I was sitting down here singing at the top of my lungs, realized that you could not hear me singing, and it really is a good thing for everyone that you cannot hear me singing at the top of my lungs, and yet I was getting to sing with all that orchestration. That's cool. Y'all can do the same thing, and our voices join together, and it's really, really cool. So just that's just what that is. Um, I've worked a long time on this message, and it still ain't right, um, and I mean a long time. I've worked a long time on this. And, and it dawned on me as we, were, as we were sitting there, and this is the second introduction, so I've got three total introductions this morning. Uh, what is making this study so special to me, going through the book of Joel? What's making this, and we're in Joel chapter 2, we're finishing that up this morning. Um, it's only three chapters, next week's the last one. But anyway, what is making this so special is the parallel between what I'm seeing in Scripture and what I see in our time, and that, and that what occurred then is truly what is occurring now. But where we get hung on what is occurring now, what we miss, and that's what I want us to see today, is that while what is going on around us is really equivalent to what was going on in Joel's day, We've, if we've got our eyes on what's going on, we're, we're missing the big event. The big event is that God is working through all of this stuff to consummate the age that he, is, that he is bringing us to salvation and that he is giving us a hope that we can look to, that we can hold on to, that we can taste, we can feel, we can see that says, here's where we're going. This is how, this, this is how it's going to end up. So take heart, my children. It's going to be fine. People are pulling down statues and riding in the streets and burning everything, and we're going, ah, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine because the Lord is using all of these things as judgment, as discipline, to bring his people back, all of this stuff. This, this, the world is out of control, but it's not out of control. And that's what we see in the scripture. And, 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 and I can't, I know, I, I was just telling Kim earlier, I'm trying to do the Holy Spirit's job because I want you to see this so bad because as I study through this, I'm sitting in my office, literally sometimes sitting in my office going, yes, 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 it is, and I want you to have that experience. I want you to see 
that, that God is thoroughly, completely, totally in control and that he not just putting everything together, but he has a hope for you, a place for you that when all of this is over, we will walk in a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity in a world that will be unlike anything we can even imagine now where there is no pain and no, no sorrow and no sickness and no death. And we've heard it all of our lives that we're kind of immune to it. And the Holy Spirit, that's I, I want, I pray that the Holy Spirit does that to you. Next week we talked about, we talk about the final day of the Lord. But today we're going to talk about this. So I guess I better get started or we'll be going forever and then the folks will be coming in, they get all mad at me. So the uh, holy walk of shame, have uh, any of y'all ever taken the holy walk of shame? I kind of believe that some of you have. If you weren't raised in the church, chances are very good that you've never experienced the holy walk of shame. But if you were like I was in the cradle role and grew up in the church, you know what the holy walk of shame is because you have been there and done that. Holy walk of shame. Here's how it works. You're a young child, four, five, six years old. You're old enough that mom and dad's bringing you in here now. They're not sending you down to children's worship. They're bringing you in, teaching you how to sit still in the pew, teaching you how to listen, teaching you how to sing, showing you how worship works. They're doing all of the things that good moms and dads are supposed to do. And you are hell bent on driving them crazy. It is your one desire in life to squirm, fidget, fuss, make noise, chew chewing gum, pop it, do anything annoying that you possibly can. And while you do that during the music service, your parents are trying to stop you and give you the look, sometimes pinch you on the arms, do all of those things to get you to stop, to calm down. And you know, you know, you know that you're going to die. You know you're going to. You know when this thing is over, somebody is going to kill you, but you cannot stop yourself. You're just, it's just, you just. So music stops, preaching comes up, pastor stands up, he starts to preach, and, and you can't stand it. You become a flurry of motion, a flurry of sound. You're all fidgety. One of your parents snatches you up by the hand. In my family, that one parent that day was my wife that was... I'm not going to say which child it was. She knows who she is. Parents snatched her up by the arm and walked her quickly out the back door into the vestibule. Everybody in here turns and looks when that movement happens. And you can tell from the walk that this is not an emergency potty break. There is another emergency occurring. They get out into the vestibule and their rear end gets warmed up by the application of a firm hand to it. But to make the walk of shame perfect, to make the walk of shame really a memorable moment, you have to have the perp walk. And that's where mom walks back in, holding the hand of said child, and walks slowly back to the seat so everybody can turn around and see the shame of that child that just got their rear end beat out in the vestibule, and then they sit down in the seat. And if that child has half a brain, it will be so holy for the next 30 minutes that angels will blush at how wonderful that child is for taking the holy walk of shame. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever had that experience. I remember mine very, very well. And from that moment on, my mama could go, 
from the choir loft, and I was done. Hey, I'm acting good now because mom's going to kill me. Holy walk of shame. All right. When I was a younger man, our, psych, our, our culture started to do this pop psychology thing to remove that idea of shame, to remove shame from our vocabulary because shame was unhealthy. We don't need to feel guilt. We don't need to feel shame. And that's one of the reasons why this element of our society had to remove God from the public discourse. Because, see, if, if there is a God, then there is a morality that we should all follow. But if there is no God, then there's no creator. If there's no creator, there's no moral lawgiver. If there's no moral lawgiver, then there is no moral law. And if there's no moral law, then you can do whatever you want to and there's no shame anymore. And see, we've gotten to a point in our society now where we're two generations away from having God removed. We have people now who are raised with no God, therefore there is no shame. They can do whatever they want to do. We're seeing it out loud. Every summer, as the governor or mayor in Seattle said, can be a summer of love. Everybody can do what they want to do. We can, as my generation said, you can love the one you're with. But the problem is, is that just because we said there is no shame, it doesn't get rid of our shame. Our shame is still there. Shame doesn't go away. It's just as real as ever. And the reason is, and you know why it is, because we've studied this, and you guys are smart because we've studied it. We know what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that God created us to be this person, and instead we are this person. And because we're this person, we feel the shame of falling short of that. It doesn't go away. Everyone who has lived or ever lived will feel shame. All right, Joel chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, turn to Joel chapter 2. We're on verses 28 through 32 of Joel chapter 2. And that will take us through the end of that chapter. Joel 2, 28 through 32. Here's what the word of the Lord says. And it shall come to pass afterward. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Some of this, this is ringing the bell in some of your minds, this cause, and I'll show you why. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens, and on earth blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. I told Renee the other day when I was talking about, talking about this message. I said I could easily preach for two and a half hours on this. There's so much stuff in here. And that you would all be gone and then there'd be deacons meeting and then I'd be gone and that's the way it goes. But, but there really is that much stuff in here and we're, we're going to scratch the surface. We feel shame. We're going to talk about shame for just a few more minutes. We feel shame when there is an ideal in our life where there is something that means something to us. We feel like we don't live up to it. It is either God has 
something for us to live up to that we don't live up to, or we've got something in our own self. And this is where I, I had to be called careful because I've listened to Abdu Murray on the way down this morning and he talked about this strangely enough. But our culture, our culture has, has transformed itself into a shame culture. Cancel culture, where if you don't tow the line, y'all hear this in the news, right? If you don't tow the line, then you're canceled. Nobody cares about you anymore. Nobody follows you. You're not good. Virtue signaling, have y'all heard that phrase lately? That, that if you don't do certain things, then you are not a good person. The wearing of masks has been politicized. It's no longer an idea of you're doing this because you feel like you need protection. You're doing this to help somebody. You're not doing it because you don't feel like you need to. We've moved from that to where in media we hear if you don't wear a mask, you are a bad person. That's this whole idea of, of, of having an ideal that you don't live up to. Shame is not unexpected. Shame is not unexpected. We have, we have an ideal that means something to us, and we know that we haven't lived up to that ideal. If, if you are a Jew or a, a Christian, Ten Commandments is the ideal. And if you are a Christian, Jesus takes it even a step further and moves into the, the Sermon on the Mount, gets even more intense because Old Testament, thou shalt not commit murder. Okay, we're cool. We hadn't killed anybody. But Jesus one-ups that. And Jesus says, listen, if you hate somebody, if you hate somebody, you've murdered somebody. Right? Isn't that what the word says? Y'all remember from the, yeah, okay. So the, you've got people you hate or you've hated somebody in your life. Yeah, there we are. There we are. We know that we can't remove our own shame. Once you're arrested and tried and convicted, you're a criminal for the rest of your life. That doesn't change. If, if you're never caught, you still know in your heart what you have done, and that shame never goes away. Shame is a built-in response to living outside of God's safe zone. God's safe zone where he says, this is the boundary of life where you follow me and life will be as I designed it to be. Shame happens when you step outside of that safe zone, when you break God's moral law. Now, why am I talking about shame so much? You have to back up a little bit to Joel chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, and God says something twice here. He says, and my people shall never again be put to shame. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Now, I don't know how y'all, I don't know how y'all operate. Let me tell you how I operate with God. If I hear something once and it makes my ears perk up, I go, huh, that's interesting. If I hear something twice, back to back, I don't just lean back and go, that's interesting. I go, wait a minute, he's trying to tell me something here. If he does it three times, it means I've missed it and I need to circle back right quick. That's the way I operate. It's mine and God's little thing. Maybe it's not your little thing. That's the way we work. And here he says, and my people shall never be put to shame. He's trying to tell me something here. So we're going to try to dig that out this morning. Y'all got to follow me. Y'all got to work with me. I have worked hard on this. I want you to see it so very badly, but it's hard work. The book of Joel, I'm going to call it three time zones. The book of Joel is written in three time zones. The way the time zones work, it has happened, 
It is happening, and it will happen, okay? That's the way the book of Joel is, is organized. It has happened, it is happening, and it will happen. <clears throat> now, we know that Jerusalem is somewhere in the cycle of natural disasters that God's brought about. He's using them to discipline Jerusalem. It's not unexpected. It's not unexpected. Remember, we've talked about that. This is how God operates. God is not capricious and arbitrary. God, we, we have studied, <clears throat> excuse me, we've studied in Sunday school and, and sermons for so long, this piece of Scripture and this piece of Scripture and that piece of Scripture, and Old Testament here, New Testament here, and then Old Testament, and, the New Te- and, we've, and we've broken apart the, continua- the, the continuum that God works on here. He's very, he's very, very clear in the way he operates. We talked about Deuteronomy 28. We can go back to Exodus chapter 20 to the Ten Commandments where God said at the very beginning, have no other gods before me. He says, don't make any idols to take my place and don't use God's name in vain. Have those changed? They've been around now for 3,400 years and they're, all the, they're still the same, right? Still the same. They haven't changed. So here these people are, and they're not doing any of that. They're not not following God anymore. So what does God require of them to get their society back where it needs to be? What is God requiring of them to get themselves back to inside his blessing, so to speak? He says, return to the Lord your God. That's all he's asking them to do. This is what I told you you needed to do. All you need to do is return to that and we'll get it all straightened out. You're living outside of the safe zone. You're leaving God out of everything. Realize what you're doing. Experience the shame for your failure and cry out to God with all of your heart for forgiveness and rescue and he'll rescue you. It's a simple equation, he says. Plagues are coming. One by one, getting worse with each iteration. Plagues have happened. They have happened. Plagues are happening. Life is getting harder. Unexpected, unprecedented things that they thought would never happen in a million years are happening. Ain't got to make no applications there, do I? Who would have thought? You should have seen the picture of my son yesterday. We got a before and after. He lives in Illinois. They just opened the barbershops. Since they closed everything down until today, yesterday, my son had not had a haircut. And he thought, this would be a great idea. Since I can't cut my hair, I won't trim my beard either. And I got a picture yesterday of Grizzly Adams. I have never seen him look so homeless before in my life. He looked horrid. And then he went and got his hair cut. And now he's returned back to a respectable PhD candidate that I admire and adore. I don't know where I'm going with that. Unprecedented things happen. It's where we are. But instead of repenting, the people are doing what they've always done. We're God's people, and that makes us special. I know this is hard to follow, y'all, but, 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 but work with me here just a little bit. 
In the United States, we have equated Christianity with patriotism. It's what we've done. We have a civil religion. Good people are patriots and Christians. That's what it's been. That's the way we've lived it. That's the way we've thought it. That's not true, but that's the way we've, that's the way that we've approached God is with that civil religion. As long as we're Americans and as long as some of us say that we believe in God, everything's going to be all right. But then we go to the scripture and we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and we find out 700 years before Joel was ever written that God says, that's not the way this works, boys and girls. That's not the way this thing operates. You follow me. Everything else comes second. You follow me. And the people know that. We know it. We've read it. We've studied it. We understand. We have an intellectual understanding of this. But we're just like the kid that's about to take that holy walk of shame. We can't stop ourselves. We keep doing the same things that we've always done. Joel says, the day of the Lord is near. We know the day is coming. And the day comes for them. They will be totally shamed and humiliated. They'll be overrun by an enemy. God will be ridiculed as being no God at all. People will say, where is your God? When you look at the people in our country that are doing the things in our country right now, do you see any respect for God at all? Is it there? So what are they saying? They are saying by their actions, who is your God? What is your God going to do? I do not see your God doing anything anything. He is not real. There is no God. We can do what we want to do. That's where we are. Now, back in a former life that I lived, I drove a welding truck. I drove a welding truck for a year. That was an interesting year of my life. You're driving around town. You've got pressurized cylinders on the back of your truck. Some of them are flammable. My boss told me we had a little safety meeting one day. We had a little safety meeting one day, and my boss told me, okay, now if it catches on fire, here's your fire extinguisher. This is how you put out the fire. And I said, dude, if the truck catches on fire, I'm running as fast as I can and getting away from that. To which he replied to me, that would be very dumb because when this truck blows up, you can't run fast enough to get away from it. You better put that fire out as best you can because you're going to die one way or another. And I thought, oh, what a great job I've got. I love this job. So anyway, I'm driving out the Armstrong plant down South Macon. I don't know if you know where the Armstrong plant is. To get around the back of the building, you have to go around this little blind curve. This truck comes out flying 100 miles an hour. A tractor trailer rig comes flying out. I put on my brakes and stop real, real quick. And he comes around barreling and somehow he did not see me. And I'm sitting there in my truck knowing, knowing that his trailer is going to hit me. There's no way he can miss me. And looking at the angle of that trailer coming, his wheels will probably come to rest on the cab where I am sitting. Sitting there watching that occur. I have always wondered why when people saw things coming, why didn't they do something? And I sat there and I didn't do a thing. I sat still and it is slow motion. Any of y'all who've ever been in anything like this, you understand. It happens in slow motion. I see that. I see the truck coming. I see the wheels coming. Time slows down, and I'm just sitting there going, well, this could be it. This could be it. And he did hit the truck, but he did realize something was going on, and he put on brakes before the wheels got up to where I was. 
I just stood there and watched it. The Lord is advertising what's going to happen. The Lord is advertising now what's going to happen. He's been telling them forever. There's no way they can't see it coming. There is no way we can't see it coming. There's no way. Yet they did nothing. The great army broke down their impenetrable walls, destroyed their way of life. They were powerless. And the great and awesome day of the Lord bore down on them like a car wreck. Can't remove our shame. We're helpless to stop ourselves. But twice God says that my people shall never again be put to shame. God's got a plan, right? If I can't remove my shame, y'all work with me. I know this is hard. Stick with me. We can't remove our own shame. That means that God has to have a plan because he says it'll never again happen. So what is his plan? And we look at it and it can't be, it can't be the restoration of Israel because Israel is overrun again in 70 A.D., and they're out, of the, they're out of the picture till 1948. So it can't be that. So what is God doing to take away our shame? All right. What, what is happening is the plagues are continuing until they're overrun by a superior army. What will happen? Okay, we've got what happened, what is happening, what will happen. This is confusing. What will happen? Did y'all ever see Princess Bride? Y'all seen Princess Bride? Y'all remember, maybe I mentioned this last week. I mentioned somebody because this, this keeps reminding me of Princess Bride where they're on the wall after they've retrieved uh, Wesley from the pit of despair and they're on the wall and Indigo is trying to explain to him. He says, Wesley wakes up because he's been mostly dead all day long. Y'all remember mostly dead all day long? And, and, and he wakes up and he says, where am I? What's going on? And Inigo says, let me, ex- let me explain. It is too much. Let me summarize. That's where, that's where I feel like I am right here. Let me explain. Uh, mm, it's too much. Let me summarize. Here we are. What will happen? What has happened? What is happening? What will happen? What will happen happens in three time zones too. You've got what's about to happen. What happens next And then what happens to finish it all off? Last week, we studied what was about to happen. That that God was going to be moved with compassion. He was going to relent and restore them to their land. All of that did happen between 586 and 536 B.C. Joel was written in the 600s. So when God says this is about to happen, he's talking to people that are still in the middle of the hardship. It hasn't happened yet. They haven't repented yet. But he knew they were going to repent because he knew he wasn't going to stop pursuing them until they did repent. Do you understand? He will not stop pursuing us until we repent. It's the way he operates. So he keeps doing that. Eventually they repent. He removes, but, but that still doesn't remove their shame. But what happens next removes their shame. Joel 2, 28, 29. And it shall come to pass everywhere, afterward, it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. 600 years after this was written, Joel is long dead. His white bones are laying in some nondescript tomb somewhere. 600 years after this was written, in a stable in Bethlehem, the Son of God was born. 
His mother named him Yeshua, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that no other human had ever lived. He was accused of claiming that he was God, which is exactly what he did. The Jews did not like that. They had him crucified by the Gentiles. Jesus died on the cross. And do you remember the story? Trying to tie this together. I want you to see it so bad. Do you remember the story? When Jesus was crucified, do you remember what happened that day on the cross while he was hanging on the cross? What happened? Somebody just just say one word of what happened that day. While Jesus was on the cross, what happened? One thing. Darkness. Darkness. Darkness covered the land and there was an earthquake, right? Darkness and earthquake covered the land. This is, this is the language that's, talking, that's being talked about here. For three hours, the clouds obscured the sun. The ground shook. It sounds like, if you listen closely, it sounds like blood and fire and columns of smoke, doesn't it? You know why? Because it was blood and fire and columns of smoke. Blood was the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross. Fire always represents the judgment of God. The judgment of God is being poured out that day in the presence of smoke Smoke always represents the presence of God. What he is telling us is this is the day of the Lord. This is the day. If you are waiting on the day of the Lord to come in the future, you're going to be a couple of thousand years too late. The day of the Lord is right now. The day of the Lord is when Jesus came. He was buried in the tomb for three days. God raised Jesus from the dead. People saw him. Jesus taught. Jesus ate with them. He ascended into heaven and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Very soon after this, the disciples and all the friends were together in the upper room. You remember the story? Do you remember the story? This is a historic event. There's in the upper room, the sound of a July thunderstorm happened. Sound of a mighty rushing wind. We had one a couple of days ago at my house. You're sitting there and the wind starts picking up. Y'all remember, y'all know you live in Georgia. Somebody, for God's sake, shake your head up and down. Tell me, you know what it sounds like when a thunderstorm's coming. That's what happened. This great rushing wind sound comes. Then they look around and there's visions of flames coming off the top of everybody's head. And they're talking in their own language and yet everybody understands everything. Everybody's talking all kinds of different stuff. Peter is there and people are listening to him. They go, these people are drunk. And Peter says this in scripture. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And then he almost repeats verbatim exactly what you just read. Do you understand on that day what God had started a couple of thousand years before? God's bringing all this to happen. And on this day, he says, this is the day of the Lord. This is the day that I am creating my church on that day. And my church is the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Do you understand? Do you understand? We look at the church and we go of our Woo, I almost said crap. I'm not supposed to say crap in the pulpit. What's another word? Junk. We put all of our junk in the church and we get all of our stuff out there. We're supposed to be and we are the kingdom of God on this earth. That's who we are. Now, if we will receive it and if we will understand it, All of the problems that face us in the church and outside the church and in all of our communities right now 
are fulfilled and fixed in this one sentence. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not just the Jews and the Gentiles. Not just the people of Israel. But the people of Rome and Spain and Turkey and Egypt and Africa and America and everywhere else. And not just on olive skin, folks. Let me help you understand something, brothers and sisters. Jesus was not white. He was not white. He was not black. He was an olive skin Middle Easterner. Probably had green hair and hair that looked, I'm green eyes and hair that looked like Debbie's. I'm telling you, that's what that group of people look like that, that whatever, ethnicity or whatever you call it, that's what Jesus looked like. He didn't just pour out spirit on the olive skin folks, but he poured out the spirit on black folks and white folks and yellow folks and red folks and every hue in between. He poured the spirit out on men folk. He's poured the spirit out on women folk, on all flesh. He leveled the playing ground, that playing field that day and he said this is my church everyone who comes in is mine everyone stands at the foot of the cross the same everyone is the same in my eyes there is one race and it's the race of Jesus Christ established in his church that's what was happened that day the church was created and for all who believe in Jesus to those who become the church they will never be put to shame again can't happen to you it can't happen to you. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus promised, came to remove our shame. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Y'all listen to me. Oh, this is a thinking man sermon. I ought to be teaching this in the classroom somewhere. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal you hear me? You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, whom we marry, who we snub, who we exploit. Immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. You guys have studied history, right, in school? We studied history. Civilizations come and go. Fashions change. If I had, Chloe, let me help you understand something, baby. If I had kept my clothes from the 70s, some of your friends would be begging to buy them. The only thing that I haven't seen lately that, from the 70s that, that, that I haven't seen is the low-rise button-fly bell-bottom jeans. Y'all, some of you might be old enough to remember those. I hadn't seen those come out yet. Those were cool. I had about 50 pair of those, you know, the low-rise button-fly bell-bottoms. Whoop! Couldn't wear them if I wanted to. I might could fit them on my left leg now, but people would pay good money for those clothes. I'm telling you, styles change, music changes, literature changes. But people, in a sense, all people are immortal. We will all die, but we will all be resurrected. Some of us will be resurrected to live forever. And some of us will be resurrected to die forever. But we are all forever people. And the Spirit is the great leveler. And because we're all human and because we're all fallen short of the glory that God created us to, we have a shame that has to be dealt with. And God deals with that shame in, in Joel 
uh, chapter 2, verse 32, and he turns right around and deals with it again in the book of Romans, which you know because you're smart because we've studied this. In Joel, he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you go to Romans 10 that we studied. For the scripture says, look who he quotes. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see these are not individual little stories. God has been working this pattern all the way across to let us know over and over and over again that he was going to bring a Savior to rescue us. And that whoever calls on his name will be saved. Their shame will be removed forever. If you've never trusted Christ, you've got to consider him. The cost is expensive. You've got to give up your life and take on his life. Jesus is the only way that you will never be put to shame again. I don't care what shame you feel for whatever you have done. Your biggest shame is knowing that God has a safe zone and you aren't in it. And until today, until today, you've not cared. But today's a little bit different, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit is saying that for 3,400 years, God's been laying the groundwork to call you to him. That's how important you are. You are an immortal person. You will be, you will be raised either to everlasting life or everlasting death. And he wants you to live. So in a few minutes, we're going to sing Got a little bit more to go yet. In a few minutes, we're going to sing. There'll be some people in the back. So that you don't have to walk in front of everybody. You just walk out to the back. There'll be some folks along the back that you can talk to. And they can help you understand and get started on this path of following Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't understand what it means to never be put to shame again. There is no reason ever for the rest of your existence to feel shame. There is no reason. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. Jesus took them on the cross. He buried them in his grave. They cannot be resurrected. Jesus carried every last sin you've ever had or will have to the cross. When you die, and you will, your resurrection will not be to a final judgment. Your resurrection will be to stand before Jesus for your works to be tested. And those works that remain after he tests them, those works you'll receive a reward for, for doing what he called us to do. And between now and then, shame can't stick to you. There's no doubt that you're going to do things to be ashamed of, but our merciful Lord will remind you that he took the full weight of your sin and shame on the cross. He will bring you back into his safe zone. He will restore you. He will walk with you as your strength through through whatever shadow you're required to walk through. We cannot be defeated. We cannot be dominated. We cannot be eliminated. People cannot kill us. They can take our physical lives, but to the glory of God, we will refuse to die. We will live forever. What mountains can we climb if we realize that we can't die? What injustices are there that we can't correct? What poverty is there that we can't address? What kindness is there that we cannot do? What wound is there that we cannot heal? What difference would it make if we realize that Jesus truly is our life? He truly is our life. Last scripture, Colossians 3. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I know that you feel like you've fallen short and you feel like it all the time. I do too. And I'd never in a million years ask you to rededicate your life. That's the biggest bunch of hoo-ha on the face of this planet. Rededicating your life means you're going to try harder to do what you failed at already. Why waste the effort? What I ask you to do this morning is simply to repent. We have wandered wandered out of our safe zone. And that's why we feel things are totally out of kilter. Like it's out of control. That, that, that the world's going to come to an end and life as we know it's going to be over forever. No. No, the day of the Lord has come. The kingdom has been established on earth. It's just waiting for its final consummation. We have to hold on to the fact that Jesus has rescued us. And I don't know how to explain any better than that. That probably wasn't the best explanation in the world that I could give. But I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to tell you, to remind you in your heart that for well over 3,000 years, the Lord has been working to save you and to hold you fast. Y'all pray with me. Oh, Father, I... mm, Lord, thank you for beginning to open our eyes to the whole of the Bible, to the whole of your word, to the whole of who you are. Thank you, Father, for helping us, causing us, starting us to see that the things that are happening right now are temporary things that, sure, we've never seen them in our lifetime, but you have seen them in the scope of history and that you've planned them for all of this time, for a purpose. And that purpose is to draw us back to you. And that purpose is to call new people to you. Lord, I don't want to see anybody die apart from you. And Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to see any more Christians as we limp through our lives wounded bearing shame and guilt that's not ours to have. Father, we have freedom in Christ that we don't claim. Lord, please, please, Father, please cause us to see. Your Holy Spirit fell on the people at Pentecost and created your church. Father, let your Holy Spirit fall on the church anew and cause us to act as though we are drunk, that people in the community would ask, what's the matter with those people? Oh, Father, please, help us. Bring us to the cross. Cause us to receive your forgiveness. Place in our heart your righteousness. Write on our heart your law and hold us in your hand until the day
that you call us home and give us a hope of a new heaven and a new earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.